MSW Media. In the last two weeks, Alabama, Missouri, and Georgia passed laws that would effectively take away a woman's right to choose to obtain an abortion. For example, Alabama will criminalize the performance of an abortion by a doctor with penalties up to 99 years in prison without any exceptions for rape or incest. Now that the composition of the Supreme Court has changed, how will women's reproductive rights be undermined or curtailed? How will the legal battle play out? And what can be done to counteract this trend? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. Well, Patty, I have to say I didn't, uh, I didn't realize this week was going to be such a major week for reproductive rights. I mean, there was just an absolute assault on reproductive rights this week from multiple states, and I didn't see it coming. Well, and that's, I think, part of the problem is that a lot of people were saying, oh, they're never going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And they told a lot of people like me, oh, just relax, you're overreacting for years. When states like Texas were including restrictions when it came to how wide the doors could be or your visitation rights as a, as a doctor at a hospital, you had to have certain sort of requirements. They have been, in states across the country, peeling back access to abortion. And I, it is unfathomable to me that we are at this point now where we're having this conversation because I remember when President Obama was in office, people would tell me, oh, you know, I don't care how many abortions a woman has as long as I don't have to pay for them. You can have a thousand, I mean, just ridiculous language uh-huh. and sort of poo-pooing anybody who wanted to stand up and say, look, we need to make sure we hold the line on women's access to health. And that's what this is all about. It is not just about getting pregnant or keeping, in a, you know, making a woman carry a pregnancy to term. This is about a lot of states now have, have uh you know, these regulations in place, OBGYNs are not being, those positions are not being filled because of the insurance rates, because of the restrictions, all these things. Women's health, it's not just about abortion. This is about women's health in general. And it is going to be increasingly harder for women to take care of themselves and their, their families as we go forward in this, in this, if this is the way the country's going, especially for the red states. Well, you know, throughout my career as a lawyer, I've seen a systematic effort to try to restrict reproductive rights, uh, and, in, and it's been very effective, uh, in particularly in certain southern states and in middle Midwest, middle west states like Oklahoma. There'll be, for example, only one facility in the entire state where someone can actually get an abortion, and so while you technically have the right. Um, it can be so burdensome right. that it's practically difficult uh, or nearly impossible for a woman to, to get access to abortion. So I have to say what I thought was going to happen um, once the composition of the court changed was that we would start seeing that right further chipped away. What's shocking to me is we have these extraordinarily um, sweeping laws that have been enacted in some of these states like Alabama 
that are just very, very extreme. They, they, and they're going for the, they're just going to try to wipe it out entirely. And it's, 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 it almost reveals um, the, the end goal here in a way that I think the, the, a lot of conservative lawyers have been, you know, just trying to have restrictions around the edges and do it in a piecemeal fashion. It's interesting you mentioned Oklahoma because Oklahoma has one of the highest infant mortality rates in the country. Alabama actually has the second worst in the country. So we're talking about states, and that tends to be the the truth uh, across the board when it comes to the states that are most aggressive when it comes to restricting abortion access. They have high infant mortality rates. So uh, it is not about life. The fact that they can continue to say every life is precious is is not true. It's a fallacy because it really is about controlling the future, the health of women. Because, by the way, getting pregnant, people act as though we get pregnant, we should just have the baby. It's as though you're gonna, you had sex, you asked for it, you knew the risks, you now have to carry this, this, uh, this to term, the pregnancy to term. There are also health risks involved, and I wonder where lawyers stand on this because preeclampsia, uh, pregnancy, gestational uh, diabetes, you, have, you can have infections when you are delivering. There are a lot of complications that can arise. So we are also asking women who, first of all, don't want, if, if, they don't, if it's a matter of want, right, let's say it's in the first 10 weeks, the first 12 weeks, the first 16 weeks, they realize they cannot have a baby. They're not ready for it, whatever their reasons are. We are now saying not only do you have to commit to this life, you also have to put yourself at these health risks. So I'm curious about that as far as the legal aspect of it yeah and i think we we, i want to bring in our guests and get into that with her because frankly um this is an an imposition to me it's you know you talked a moment ago patty about how this is about access to health care to me it's really about a woman's control over her own body because the decision to to have a, a child is a, li- a major life yeah. decision and has tremendous impact on someone's health and really <clears throat> on their body for the rest of their lives. And so essentially to um, f- restrict a woman's choices and to f- essentially force her to carry a baby to term is an extraordinary burden to place on a woman. And it's really a, a lack of control over her own destiny. Which is, I, I would think, is antithetical to what conservatives seem to say they stand for is the you know lack of freedom and uh, and the idea that you are now somehow you have to be an incubator why why would why would any republican say we we're now going to have you may have this baby for the state that's essentially what it comes down to in some instances i mean many Now I'm going to bring in Caroline Fredrickson. She is the president of the American Constitution Society, which is really the largest uh, organization of progressive lawyers in the United States. I am a member of that organization. And before that, she was the executive director of, uh, or excuse me, the uh, general counsel of NARAL, um, which is one of the most important uh, reproductive rights organizations. She also, before that, worked on the on the Hill for uh, Senator Daschle. It, it, she was doing a lot of work, legislative work on reproductive rights. So really a fantastic person to speak with us about this subject. And thank you for joining us. I appreciate it, Caroline. Yeah, it's a total pleasure. I'm happy to be with you. I'm not happy about what we're talking about, though. <laughs> <laughs> can I... Can I- I need. I just. I have to ask because uh, you know Renato said before we even got started that he was surprised that this accelerated this way in the past week. Were you surprised? That I need to know that first. Well, I think we saw. You know, it's sort of like a snowball. I mean, we saw the beginnings of it um, 
uh, this has been the wish list for the anti-choice people. Um, and, um, and I think they, you know, the getting Kavanaugh on the court, um, really precipitated, um, a lot of efforts. And, you know, I'm not sure this is what, you know, the overall Republican party really wants to, to happen, the national party, but the activists in the states see their opening and off, they're off to the races. We, we've seen bills like this in the past. It's just, um, these bills are actually moving um, and moving in several states. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's definitely is an acceleration, but it's not something that is, uh, that is, un- uh, you know, unprecedented or unexpected, really. So, uh, Caroline, can you give us a background on the state of the law for reproductive rights? I think for a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with how the law is developed, particularly, after, you know, fr- from Casey onward. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, I think, you know, everybody knows the basics of Roe. It set up the trimester um, um, uh, sort of analysis. Um, and then the case, the case known as Casey, um, changed the standard of review to some extent and, and, and said that, that uh, you could not uh, put an undue burden on a woman's access to reproductive rights. And so that's, that's been a, a challenge. Um, in many ways, because, you know, I think many people who, who believe women should have um, uh, reproductive rights, their reproductive rights protected, you know, have a very different vision of what an undue burden is um, than, say, uh, others. Um, and we've seen those cases sort of um, uh, coming to the court uh, not too long ago was the whole women's health case, um, which made it very hard for women to get an abortion. Um, by putting new requirements on um, on care centers um, and on doctors, um, uh, that was basically a backdoor way to um, eliminate access to abortion. Um, so that's kind of where we are now. Um, the Supreme Court said just a couple of years ago that 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 those kinds of restrictions were still unconstitutional. But then um, Justice Kennedy left the court, and now we have uh, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we don't think they'll be in the same place. Yeah, I, I'm what we had seen for a period of time, I felt like was a lot of there was a lot of litigation in the Supreme Court uh, over, the, as you mentioned, the undue burden test, which is case, the case that she's talking about, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. It was in the, it was in, it was in the early 90s decision that um, was kind of the seminal case since Roe versus Wade in, in uh, reproductive rights. But since then, we've seen efforts, as you mentioned, to chip away uh, reproductive rights and to, and to effectively deny access or to put, you know, to make access to to reproductive health care more and more difficult. And I have to say, uh, Caroline, I thought that that was the strategy that we would be seeing in the years to come. Uh, that there would slowly ratchet up and, and chip away at women's right, uh, reproductive rights as opposed to going at it in one fell swoop. Do you think that this makes sense for them as a legal strategy? How, how do you see this playing out? Well, I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, they'll, they'll have multiple strategies. I, I mean, there's still going to be those efforts um, to revisit the whole women's health case. You know, what is the undue burden? And can we basically legislate abortion out of existence? Um, and not um, violate Roe and Casey. Um, I, so I think that'll still happen, right? The states aren't going to stop passing those bills, and those will go to the court. Um, in the meantime, they're going to set an outer limit. Um, you know, where what I think the danger in many ways is that you know we all um, we kind of focus on the heartbeat bills, um, the total ban in Alabama, 
um, these other really outrageous pieces of legislation and don't pay as much attention to the bills that are doing what they've been doing, you know, for many, many years, which is requiring doctors to have admitting privileges in the hospitals and requiring um, a, a reproductive care clinics. Um, to have all sorts of additional uh, machinery or, you know, wider hallways or, you know, any number of different kind of regulatory um, efforts to make it, you know, impossible, really expensive um, to run a clinic and therefore shutting the doors. Um, we got to watch out for that because that, you know, they're, they're pursuing, you know, multiple strategies. You know, I think that Chief Justice Roberts is a very sly individual. Um, and I think he, 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 he has, you know, a recognition that, um, that it's, it's, it's wiser in many ways to do the back door, um, uh, uh, overturning of Roe than the front door. Um, and so I think we'll probably see the court take one of those cases, um, and overturn their recent decision in Whole Women's Health, but not necessarily take the Alabama case, but, We'll see. I mean, I think it's just they're, they don't see any downside to pursuing both strategies. I know a lot of listeners have questions. And now, you know, we're talking about states' rights is what's come up a lot. Where that, does it essentially Roe v. Wade, uh, you said Casey leaves it up to the states to decide what's going to happen state by state. But people wonder how does, you know, the legislation in one state and if it's successful affect neighboring states? Is there any re- No, relation? no. Well, that's not actually quite accurate. Um um, Casey didn't say the state, you know, wouldn't leave it up to the states. Um, it, it said that it, it altered the row um, paradigm, you know, the trimester um, paradigm by using this undue burden language, which is, you know, as I said, it's sort of vague and hard to administer. Um, but um, but states were still had to meet that standard. They could not impose undue burdens on women's uh, reproductive care. Um, and so, um, but, but they, that didn't mean that they couldn't pass different types of laws, you know, they've tried, you know, requiring women to get, uh, to note, you know, have to notify their husband or get permission from their husband. And there have been, you know, plenty of, of, of bills focused on young women. Um, so, so they proceed, um, you know, along those lines, but it's, there's still, it's a constitutional right that, that, um, applies everywhere in the United States. Um, and so it's not a states' rights issue. It's a constitutional law issue. Um, if Roe were overturned, which is their goal, um, that finding would be that it is not, in fact, a constitutional right. Ah. So one thing that I, you know, just to, to circle back to your, your um, the point you were making about pursuing two strategies at once, essentially what we might see then, Caroline, is, is the court not taking, for example, um, an appeal, uh, not granting cert or not taking the case for out of the, for, you know, challenging the Alabama law that could get stricken down by a lower court and then not even make it to the Supreme Court and people will let out a sigh of relief. And then in the background, um, there could be all of these efforts, for example, that would chip away at reproductive rights that might be less publicized and seem less dramatic, but may have a very substantial impact uh, that would build over time. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. Um, I, I mean, it, it'll be a multi-pronged strategy. You know, that you know, it's just it, it's it's clever in many ways. I mean, you really, you, you know, they they throw the most outrageous stuff out there, um, and there's those are clearly violate row. I mean, there's no question about it that those are unconstitutional laws. I mean, just, 
um, uh, you know, and that's what they want. I mean, they say explicitly, we want to bring this to the court. We want to overturn Roe. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, they're, they're, they still have their whole agenda of, all, you know, the whole other set of bills that they've pushed in the past, that they continue to pull and push. I mean, there's just any number of them that go after women's, um, women's right to choose. And so I, you know, I think they'll, they'll continue with those. And, and you're, and you're right, Renato, I think, you know, that, that one of those is, you know, the ones that are most likely to go up to the court and then the court will say, oh, you know, we're not overturning Roe, but it really is not an undue burden on women to have to, you know, to, you know, even if there's no longer an abortion clinic in the state, uh, because of the cost, um, you know, they can go to the next state. And so it's not an undue burden or they'll, they'll say, um, you know, we're not going to accept the factual basis that this is actually going to make it too expensive. Does Georgia's bill include the restriction that you can, that women cannot cross state lines in order to get an abortion? That was my understanding. Um, you know, I, those are really interesting questions about whether those are enforceable and, and, uh, you know, that the whole idea that, that you, the criminal law rides on the back of the woman, um, to the other state, um, where she does something that's perfectly legal. Uh, this has come up in the past with abortion laws, with juvenile, you know, where there have been uh, uh, places where a juvenile uh, young woman has to go and get uh, uh, a, a judicial um, waiver or uh, have, uh, uh, and, and she goes to another state where it's legal um, for her not to have to do that um, and uh, and comes back. And, and there were bills that were trying to, to criminalize that. I think, you know, that's just not how our criminal law works. Um, and so, you know, the question is, I think, Renato, you're, you're the, you're the, you've been the prosecutor. Um, it, you know, that it's just how, I mean, how, how does that really, you know, how does that work? Um, that something that's legal in one state, um, you do that in that state and then you get prosecuted in, in another state. I mean, usually, um, usually we do not, uh, prosecute people for doing something unless the impact of it, the effect of it's in the other, in the, in the state that's that's being mentioned. In other words, you know, if you, for example, are committing fraud, you know, you you cross state lines to commit fraud that happens to impact, the, you know, the prior state, or you know, to do some other activity, right? You're you're going across to you you go to Colorado to traffic in marijuana, and then you're shipping it to a state that it's still illegal in, or something like that. So it's it's very unusual, and as you, I think you're alluding to also, Caroline. It, aside from the fact that I think. On its face, there's going to be due process issues that are sort of baked into that. Um, I would also say that um, it also places an undue burden on a person's right to travel, which is part of our you know, the Constitution as well. We're supposed to be able to, you know, go freely amongst the United States and be able to fo- follow the laws of those states and not, um, you know, not have that bur- you know that burden placed on us. So I. I don't know. It strikes me as extraordinarily problematic. I doubt it's actually going to be enforced. I I'm very skeptical of those laws ever be, ever you know becoming enforceable. But I think Caroline's kind of intuition about how the strategy is going to play out, I think, is the most likely. But I think this what this highlights for us a couple of things. It just shows you the tremendous. To me, it shows the tremendous energy and fervor out there to. Um, get you know to get a row ultimately invalidated in case he invalidated and have no uh, you know essentially devolve this to the states and have states permitted to um, to completely uh, destroy a woman's right to have access to an abortion but also 
Um, I also have really started to see, and I, one of the things I find interesting, Caroline, is this movement towards there's a sense that they're trying to ground this in some sort of science. Now they're saying, you know, what I've been seeing from law, Republican lawmakers is now we can keep, uh, uh, you know, uh, premature births, you know, uh, babies alive at an earlier age. So this somehow means that we need to have a change in law. They're trying to ground it to some sort of science. I'm curious what your reaction is to that. Well, that's a, that's been a, a, a policy or an effort by um, by the anti uh, anti choice um, forces for a long time. Um, going to six weeks is really um, an incredible step, however, because nobody thinks that it, uh, that a fetus could survive at six weeks. And the idea is there. Um, they may say it has something to do with science, but um, but in fact, um, it, you know, most women wouldn't even know they're pregnant at that point in time. And so what it does is effectively outlaw um, abortion um, at any point in a pregnancy. So to say that there's some scientific basis is just, um, you know, it's just another, uh, you know, sort of false talking point um, that they're pushing out there, um, which is, you know, consistent with what they've done in the past. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I have to say, I think the whole effort is, is, you know, it's clever in many ways because they're trying to get at this issue of, of sort of, you know, I, I, making a, a fetus, um, you know, I, I, making people in their minds think it's a, it's a you know fully grown child, um, uh, as opposed to understanding you know fetal development and, and and so forth and the issue of viability, which was um, you know how Roe was structured, the, you know the issue of viability. Now, science, you know, and medicine have meant that viability, um, you know, is a little earlier now, but it's certainly not at six weeks. Um, and the point of these laws is not to, you know, to have a viable um, fetus uh, be protected. It's to outlaw abortion. Yeah, I think that uh, I feel like we need to make sure people understand that at six weeks, a woman maybe hasn't even missed her cycle yet. So she wouldn't even be aware that there's something to be concerned about. I, I don't even know how to make this more accessible uh, intellectually for people who don't know how this works. Do you, Caroline? Well, exactly. No, no. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's you know, women have the period, of, you know, every month or so. And so, or so, exactly. You know, it's just. Yeah, I just, it's, you know, some women are more regular than others and, uh, and some women are not regular at all. And, you know, so they have different cycles and, um, and, you know, they wouldn't necessarily assume much, you know, had happened. Um, but, you know, and even if they were a little concerned, they wouldn't have any idea that they were definitely pregnant. It's just, um, it is, it is really, um, not about, um, anything to do with science. Um, though they slap the label on it. Uh, has everything to do um, with making it impossible for women to control their reproductive rights in this country. Um, And, you know, what gets caught up in this is certain forms of contraception um, where, uh, you know, they've, they've targeted IUDs and, and others, um, uh, other, other types of contraception um, that work to prevent uh, an egg from uh, attaching to the uterus or, you know, others. And, uh, and so, you know, this is really, um, you know, I said to somebody that they, they, they mistook the Handmaid's Tale for a how-to manual. Um, it's sort of a joke, but not really, right? It's, you know, I mean, this is really a, a really radical approach to controlling women's bodies. I, I had some folks on Twitter get upset at my use of the phrase incubator. Uh, but no, basically the state is saying you must incubate this baby for us and not even taking, you know, a lot of folks just think, well, you knew the risks, you had sex, no one forced you unless you were, of course, attacked uh, by incest or, or rape. 
I, I think that completely negates everything that we understand when it comes to, first of all, uh, being human, having relationships, right? And, and people are like, well, you know, no one forced her to have sex. So now the consequences, you have to be forced by the state to have a baby. And that doesn't even include the risks that are involved, whether it's preeclampsia, diabetes, infections, all kinds of things. But apparently that's okay. I'm sorry. I'm a little fired up, Carolyn. <laughs> no, well, I'm totally fired up too. And I, I mean, I think that's, it's all exactly right. Um, you know, this is this is a, uh, a an effort. I think you're. <laughs> I like the term. I mean, I don't like the term incubator, but I think that's essentially what it is. Um, and and you know, what's incredible here is that um, not only are these states that don't want to expand Medicaid coverage, but we could talk about that for a while. You know, do they care about children really? Um, but these are also, you know, there's what are the penalties for a man who gets a a, a woman pregnant? Um, you know, will he have to pay, pay child support? Um, what are what are the uh, you know sort of unintended or intended consequences of of, of uh, uh, giving a fetus legal personhood um, either at, at conception, like in Alabama, or at six weeks, like in these other states? Um, you know, is a woman a murderer um, because if she self uh, she has an abortion, uses mifepristol, the 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 drug. Um, you know, is she, is she guilty of, of murder because uh, because the fetus has personhood status in that state? I mean, but, you know, but they're certainly not looking at the obligations of a man. And last time I checked, this is a two part process. Well, it's just interesting you mentioned that, too, because one of the listeners had a question about what are the states going to do with undocumented workers if the fertilized egg is then a citizen? Because that was what Alabama says. They give them citizenship because they also are then tax exemptions, right? And what are they going to do in that sense? Is the fertilized egg a U.S. citizen then? Well, right. Exactly. And so, you know, there, you know does it need to have a Social Security number? And uh, if the mother's not documented, um, it seems like whether or not she goes to deliver her child elsewhere, that child should be a U.S. citizen. What is the census? Um issues does that child need to be counted um uh you know so so there are there are lots of of bizarre things that happen when you start assigning a legal status to you know uh a six month a six week um you know a, a, a fetus um that are uh you know I, I think not it's it's not in in at all something that they they care very much about right having a law that's actually uh makes sense because um, I think this is, you know, just it's just an effort to get something to the Supreme Court if they can, um, you know, and or uh, an effort to distract from the bills that they hope will go to the court and, and will actually upheld serious restrictions on abortion. Um, you know, as I said before, I think it's sort of it's 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 not a distraction because these bills are really terrible. So I don't want to uh, downplay it, but it, it is a way of this, of making those other pieces of legislation look less heinous. Yeah, that's what I was wondering about strategically. You know, when you conduct negotiations, you're always taught to anchor high or anchor low, have some offer that's very low. And then it then it's then, you know, you essentially, um, you know, you can get a better, you know, you can drag kind of drag the, the debate or the excuse me, the negotiation in your favor. And I think part of what's happening here is potentially, you know, the introduction of of legislation that's so extreme that it makes 
uh, what would otherwise be very uh, heinous or very problematic uh, seem more reasonable. You know, one thing I, that really caught my attention when you were speaking, Caroline, was when you were talking about uh, certain types of, of contraception getting caught up in this. I, can you help explain what their reasoning is regarding IUDs? I don't really understand um, how, why they're, they're, they're putting, you know, making that part of this discussion. Well, you know, it's hard for me to explain, too. I certainly can't understand. um, uh, But, you know, there's certain types of uh, contraception works in different ways. And and, um, they would like to um, and have tried to um, equate certain methods of contraception with abortion as a way of, you know, further restricting women's access um, Mm -hmm. to reproductive care. Um, uh, You know, some some of these, um, you know, types of of contraception are are both really... um, for, for, for women, uh, low-income women can be very much more cost-effective, um, uh, and they're safe, uh, and, um, and, and highly effective in terms of preventing pregnancy. So, um, I, you know, I, I, what I think is, is it's just, you know, it's another really obscene effort to deny women access to, a, you know, very important care. Um, so, you know, Renato, I can't really, tell you exactly i mean there's no science again no science behind it um there are different ways that these contraceptions work some of them are hormonal some of them are physical you know and so um and i am not a doctor so i don't want to you know go into you know too much explanation since i think you need somebody else on to do that but um but it, it is i think you know just another effort it's it's a tactic um to make it harder for women to have reproductive care so I know I know you have to go soon. So I'll just I'm going to kind of ask you a couple of things fairly quickly. Well, one is uh, there's been a very major shift in federal courts since Trump has taken office. He has only been in office for a couple of years and he's appointed a, a very substantial number of federal judges. And I know that this is something that you are focused a lot on at ACS. So can you talk to us about the impact that that has on reproductive rights? Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, you know, maybe your listeners will remember that, um, one of the things Trump did when he was campaigning was he ran around with his list. You know, here are the people I'm going to appoint to the court, uh, to the courts, the federal courts. And, um, you know, the major determinant uh, of that list was, uh, you know, commitment to overturn Roe. So that, um, has been the defining focus of his appointments, um, you know, since he was elected. Um, this is what got um, brought a lot of the kind of uh, evangelical right-wing Christians um, into his camp, and why they um, uh, continue to support him despite his 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 lifestyle, his his unethical and immoral behavior, his sexual harassment and assault. Um, you know, all of that. Um, you know, they can hold their nose because he's giving them judges that are committed to overturning Roe, and you've seen. Um, you know, there's a whole parade of people going who have been appointed, um, and since they've, you know, done away with, um, any, any restraint on, on, uh, um, uh, moving, moving nominees, um, through the Senate, it's been a very fast pace, and it's really frightening, uh, because, uh, we, it, it is sort of, you know, a central tenet of his selection process. Leonard Leo with the Federalist Society, who helped put that list together, um, you know, has, has, has been called by some of his best friends, you know, as the one person, you know, who they think 
is going to get Roe v. Wade overturned. It's his, it's his life's goal. Um, and he's the guy who put Trump's list together. So, um, you know, and I think we're unfortunately seeing the fruits of that now. Yeah, I have to say from when I was a young lawyer, even you know, almost 20 years ago now, I, I was shocked by just how deeply felt amongst uh, conservative legal elites the issue of overturning Roe is. I know Patty has one more thing and then... I just have one thing because, uh, Caroline, so many people you know, talk about how, well, you know, uh, elections have consequences, this is why you have to vote. But for many of us, that doesn't feel like enough right now. Do you have anything that people can really fundamentally do right now to be involved? Well, I mean, there are lots of things. I mean, people really cannot um, just fall into despair. I mean, voting is actually really important. So let's, you know, the, I know the elections aren't coming up in a while, but organizing, um, getting involved with different organizations, uh, like mine, the American Constitution Society, for lawyers or just people who care about um, uh, fair courts that, res- that respect fundamental rights. Um, we need good judges. Um, we need to fight for them in the states. State court judges are incredibly important. They're elected in a lot of states in this country, um, but very few people pay attention to those elections. So pay attention. Um, get involved in the policy debates. Um, lobby your state legislature. Um, people can't be passive because that is what why we lose. Um, so, you know, I think there are any number of ways that you can get involved. Um but look at what's happening in your state, because the more of a groundswell there is, the more and more states that pass these kinds of really restrictive laws or really or outright ban row, the more likely it is the Supreme Court's going to say, hey, um, this is where the country is right now. And they'll they'll take that case and they'll overturn row. So we cannot let that happen. Uh, there are states that are passing laws that actually protect women's access to abortion and explicitly a, a, a protecting abortion. So. Um, you know, that's another avenue. Fight for good legislation where women actually have a full uh, reproductive care um, and um, we don't uh, make abortion um, unavailable, even if it's not illegal. Um, I, I, w- I just joined the ACS. Go ahead. You know, I will just say and that's the exactly really the perfect way to end this discussion is about what we can do. There's tens of thousands of people listening to this and really uh, being alarmed is not enough. You, we all have to get off of our butts and do things. And I will just say that this is not a women's issue. It's really an issue of autonomy. It's an issue of freedom. And real from, so from my perspective, I'm on the board of an organization called men for choice. There are many um, organizations out there that w- that men also can get involved in and they can help aid this effort because this shouldn't be something where only half the population is fighting for basic human freedoms. And I'm sure that uh, the, the organizations, for example, like you were at NARAL, there are, you know, those organizations are organizations that men can also get involved with as well. Absolutely. No, I mean, reproductive reproduction is, uh, you know, takes at least two parties. So, um, you know, it should be equal responsibility, um, you know, to care about, um, you know, our reproductive rights um, in this country. So thanks for saying that. I totally agree. Um, this is a human right um, for self-determination and autonomy. Um, and uh, I appreciate you for uh, for saying that. And I uh, really loved having this conversation. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you for being on. I really appreciate and it. And thank you for all your work. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic. (laughs) 